way to start a new decade. Sale produced their best performance of the season so far to sweep aside Harlequins to the tune of six tries and 48 points on Friday night and pick up a bonus point win that saw them propelled back into the top four. My name is Lewis. Welcome back inside the Shark Tank. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by my co-hosts, Alex and James. Alex, how are you? Very, very good after Friday night, mate. That was unexpectedly brilliant for me. Uh, how are you? Uh, exactly the same. You know, James did it best a couple of weeks ago. It, it's so much more fun coming on to do the podcast when you've got a win to talk about. And obviously, what a win that we have to discuss. James, how are you? Yeah, really happy, mate. I'm hoping that uh, this week's pod is called We Have Clicked. Uh, we are a good team. Because... Uh, yeah, I mean, we've been waiting for this moment, haven't we, all season, and, and, it's, and it's happened, so uh, pretty happy. Absolutely. So, Alex, let, let, let's start with, with the game in its most basic elements. Obviously, six tries, 48 points, whatever. Um, every, you know, it seems like for the past couple of weeks, we've always been talking about what went wrong for sale, you know, why didn't things work out? And obviously, this time, it's the complete opposite. So, so what went right for sale? Um, I think putting multiple phases together the way we kept the ball moving made a massive difference um i think some pretty weak harlequins defense helped us in that regard but the way we kept it alive the accuracy um a massive part of me a part of that for me is the retention of our ball and feeding into that line out um i don't think we actually lost a line out all game which is certainly a first this season so you know, we were able to keep the pressure on Quinns because we kept our own ball. And then that complemented our defence, which has been outstanding all season and was outstanding again on Friday. You know, when you look at it on paper, Quinns, a really good team with ball in hand attacking, scored one try, which was a bit of a freak breakaway. Um, and the only other points they scored from, apart from that was a penalty after 10 minutes of pressure when they didn't look like getting through us. Um, so... I think, you know, the defence we knew was there, but what was different this week was that we kept the ball in hand, we recycled it well, um, we got a few lucky bounces here and there, but a few unlucky ones as well, and when it came to set piece, we were able to win our own ball and therefore keep the pressure on Quinns all game. Um, and if we can do that against any team in the league, we'll beat them because we've got the attacking talent to do it and we've got a defence that doesn't ship points. So, you know, it, it was sort of... The defence has always been there, but I think it was the attack this week and that ball retention was massive for me. James, Alex has touched on it a little bit there and it's something I want to explore this week is that, you know, Sale played very well. Harlequins, I think it's fair to say, didn't play very well. But what do you think was more important in, in the course of the game? Was it the fact that Sale played Harlequins off the park or is it that this was a Quinns team that just simply didn't show up on Friday? Well, I think the Quinns didn't want to be there. They just don't like coming to Manchester. They didn't turn up. The tackling was weak from the beginning. But I think that it was Sale overall that made a difference. I think that we really came out um, fighting fit. We won all of the initial collisions. And I think it confirmed really quite quickly in Quinn's minds, certainly the, the Luke James try. I think it just sort of confirmed that, wow, this is going to be a dark um, evening here in, in Manchester, and they couldn't wait to get home. So I, I think we they, they probably didn't turn up with the right mindset, but they're professionals. They still turned up expecting a professional rugby game, but I think after those first few contacts, they made a difference. And just to pick up on a few of Alex's points, um, 
yes, some weak uh, Quinns tackling. So, some of the worst. I mean, if I was if we were Quinns fans now and we were doing a Quinns podcast, let's just put ourselves in their shoes, maybe to answer your question, um, Lewis. I would be absolutely embarrassed. Um, I thought it was a disgrace that performance. I think if they put in many more like that, Gustav's got to go. I mean, I thought it was an absolute disgrace. Um, so <laughs> um, I think if you think about it from their point of view and a Quinns fan's perspective, you put it more down to Quinns. Um, but, you know, from our point of view, wow, you know, every collision we were winning, defence and attack, that was the best we've I've seen us carry the ball. You know, every single contact, we were over the top of them, we recycled possession. And Will Cliff... You know, I think he potentially had his best game in a sell shirt. I mean, it's, e- it's easier when you're on the front foot, don't get me wrong. But um, he-, he kept the defence um, honest. You know, he- 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 everything he did was 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 nicely done and-, and his passing off both hands was excellent. That's a really good point that you made there, James, about, about winning the collisions from the immediate start of the game. And I think that's why Ibatoye's try in five, six minutes in, whatever, was so disheartening from a sale perspective is because for that first five or six minutes, we'd completely dominated Quinns. We'd won everything in terms of um, in terms of the collisions on the game line. We were playing the territory well. We were getting the ball out. You know, Will Cliff did a fantastic job all game, and we'll come on to him in a bit. But we were playing with the intent and getting the ball wide and, and attacking Quinns wide. And obviously, we had that, that chance in the 22. And as we've seen all too frequently this year, you know, we didn't necessarily convert it. It was a you know, pretty poor series of play that, that led to a very opportune try for Ibatoya. And yeah, yeah it was, you know, it was well taken, but obviously we'd absolutely dominated that first five minutes and we still found ourselves 7-0 down. So that was that was very disheartening because we'd, we'd completely played them off the park, even from the, the opening whistle. And then obviously throughout the game, we, we very quickly remedied going down by seven points and completely, completely dominated Harlequins in every facet of the game. I'm, you know, Immediately afterwards, you had to take a quick look at you know the key stats, and it wasn't necessarily that we we absolutely bested them at the set piece, or we absolutely bested them just in defence, or, or whatever whatever else. It was the fact is we were systematically better than them at, at every single part of the game on on Friday night, and I think that is something to, if I was a Harlequins fan, be very worried about, and obviously as a Sale fan, be very very pleased about as we sit here, thankfully not doing uh, a Harlequins pod. Really quickly, before we go on to some three-word reviews, James, you mentioned about how this this was one of our, and, and Alex as well, you mentioned this is one of our best games in terms of retaining the ball and, and winning those collisions up front. Do you think having both Dupriers in the starting lineup at the same time, do you think that that was the main driving force why we were so good in terms of winning collisions and being physical up front? Well, I've, I've been actually quite critical of, that, um, uh, of the Dupriers at the same time so far this season. Uh, because I felt that they've both been a bit luxury. Um, but I thought, it was, especially Jean-Luc, is probably his best game of this season um, since he's come back to the club um, and surprised me, really, in the second row. I thought he was massively physical. Um, he really wanted the ball. He was he's pumping his legs in every single contact. There were still a couple of silly penalties. You know, I don't think he's, with all due respect, the brightest rugby player, but he's a physical specimen. And, you know, if you can use the Dupriers in the right way, you know, and build them into our game plan, you know, look, they're, they're bigger than most most people. Uh, and, they, you know, they did impose themselves. But I just wanted to give other shout-outs to people like John O'Ross, Tom Curry, uh, both the hookers, um, Akavandamura, and then Rob Weber, I thought, played really well when he came on. 
really, really physical. I think it was a pack performance. Every single member of our pack um, outperformed the member of the Quinn's pack. Great. Well, I mean, that's a great place to, to lead off with some three-word reviews and see how the Shark Tank podcast listeners felt Friday's game went. Uh, Tom Whitsker, uh, incredible despite turnovers. Uh, Nick Fogarty, great team performance. Jason Williams kept pressure on. Uh, Jamie, uh, sorry, uh, Lee Watson, physicality the key. Matt Sansbury, Cliff Game Control. Oliver Kahn, AJ Bell Fortress. Richard Higgs, this one was very popular. Cliff Stability Key. Struth, uh, Cliff's impressive performance, Rugby Cell Sharks absolutely blooming brilliant, Rob Manley, RDP can kick, and Peter Taylor at bloody last. Alex, we've already mentioned him a couple of times, but how important do you think Will Cliff was in terms of orchestrating the team um, in, in, with a view to sale, not only beating Harlequins, but beating them so significantly on Friday? Yeah, I think he had a brilliant game, didn't he? And, you know, his accuracy of his passing was a massive part of that. Um, with all due respect to Faf, who is electric, his passes are on occasion erratic. And, you know, you if you're Rob Dupree, you find yourself sort of reaching for them up, down, sideways, all over the place. Will Cliff is that very sort of metronomical out from the base and out. And, you know, as we say, it's very easy to look that good when you've got a forward pack who's completely on top. Um, and runners like Jean-Luc Dupree, John O'Ross and Dan Dupree who were giving you proper front football. Um, so I think you know you have to take that into account. But he, he really did control the game well. Um, I think, you know, in in attack, you, you didn't see that sort of... Um, that improvisation that Faf brings where he'll run off the base. He just he was just moving it away from the point of contact. But the Quinn's defence was so weak that that was all he had to do. He just had to get it away from the rook. And there was going to be gaps and there was going to be advantage to be gained um, over the advantage line. What I thought was sort of quite good about Will Cliff was also in defence. You saw him marshalling that that defensive line and moving people around. And that was something that was kind of throughout the whole team as well. Um, you know, we tried a, he tried a couple of faff style run out of the line and just got a bit done by Danny Kerr, who had the nouse to sort of throw the dummy. But the organisation of our defence, I think a lot of that was down to Will Cliff. So you know, it's that it's that solidity. It's it's what you get with Will Cliff is is no mistakes and a really really solid performance that allows the players around them to flourish. So it is the you know the Sam Jameses and the Rohans. Um, who seem really good in, in the backs and then the Dupriers and the forwards who grab all the sort of headlines. But actually, in the middle of that is Will Cliff just keeping it ticking over, keeping the ball moving fast, getting ball away from the scrums and lineouts and, and rooks. And I think, you know, that's quite underrated in a scrum half, just to be able to do the good things well. It's the sort of thing that someone like Chudley at Bath does or, you know, Exeter have had countless numbers of them over the years of scrum halves who just do really simple things, don't do anything flashy, but move the ball quickly and keep the game moving. So I think that was a massive part of our performance on Friday. And, you know, if you, I, we've always said um, that Faf is, you know, the star, but Will Cliff is hugely underrated as a sale player. Um, and I think you rightly made the point, Lewis, that Rob Dupriya doesn't have the game he has on Friday. If Faf's at nine, it's a very different dynamic. And it's good to see that we've got that different option um, and we can rest Faf and we're not just reliant on on him to create stuff for us. Do you think then that based on Friday's performance, Cliff has made a much stronger case for him to not only back up De Klerk, 
and get game time in in a rotation sequence, but also actually get some starts in the Premiership as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's just in better form than Faf at the moment. I think Faf's going through a little bit of a patch, you know, and understandably so, given the amount of rugby he's played in the last 12 to 18 months. Um, and Will Clip is just playing better than him. Um, and that's not to say that Will Clip is a better player than Faf de Klerk. But, you know, you're comparing a player who has been at sale, who has been, you know, around Rob Dupree all season, who knows the club really well, who knows the squad really well, to someone who's been here, but then away with South Africa, been away at the World Cup. Um, I genuinely just think it's a case of form. And Wilcliffe is justifiably, probably, um, earning a starting place in the squad. Uh, so, yeah, I, I genuinely think that, you know, come Premiership Games, um, he has the right to say, why am I not being picked if he's not being picked? Because on paper, and this may change, you know, Faf may come back well-rested to the extra game in the Prem. Um, but, you know, at the moment, Will Clip is playing better than Faf de Klerk for me. And I think, you know, that's, as I say, it's great to have that option of both. But what it does give us as a club is that squad depth and that rotation that we've been looking for and that competition at nine. Um as we said, you know, there's there's very few places in the squad left where we don't have competition. And I think what you've seen on Friday shows that we do have competition at nine, which is really encouraging for us as a club and as a squad going forward this year and the next couple of years. Absolutely. And I think it's also important to have that accountability in the squad. You know, De Klerk is, for all intents and purposes, self-star player, but it is also great to see someone like Cliff, you know, come in and, and make a big impact and obviously... You know, keep keep competition in those places. Um, you know, ongoing like like you mentioned, Alex uh, James. We, we we've sort of mentioned. You know, Cliff had a fantastic game, one of our star performers. Um, but who do you think out of Sales' backline benefited the most from from the type of game that that Cliff helped orchestrate? Well, I think everybody didn't they? <laughs> I mean, I, I think what happened was Cliff was just getting the ball into Rob Dupree's hands just a lot earlier, and that just gave the whole back line more time and Rob Dupree more time to make the right choices about who to pass to, whether to delay and give a short ball or whether to put the ball back in behind. Sam James has always did a lot of uh, time at first receiver with Rob Dupree going behind. In fact, I think that's what happened for, for the Luke James um, try. And, and, I, and, you know, when you, time is everything in professional rugby, isn't it? You know, just that extra split second to make the right decision makes uh, uh, you know, um, you know, all the difference. And and I think not to labour the Will Cliff point. Um, you know, look, Will Cliff is nowhere near as good a player as Fafter Clerk, right? But um, I think it was important on a number of levels that Will Cliff put in that performance, not just for squad competition, but it showed the team that they can like literally play brilliantly well without Faf, which psychologically is important. You know, we've been so reliant on Faf. He plays 80 minutes nearly every single week or 77 minutes or whatever. Like the team need to know that they've got an option that can come off the bench at nine and, and, and play a different way um, and might unlock a, an opposition in a different kind of way um, and that there's going to be no drop-off. Or if Faf went down and got injured out for the season, you know, that we're not completely... Screwed, you know, don't forget we went out and got Papier, didn't we? And I think that played into the psychology a little bit. It was actually because Cliff was carrying a knock at the beginning of the year. And I don't think he was 100% fit. But I do think it played into a few minds that we're, oh my God, we're completely reliant on the best player in the world. 
And I think for the fans as well, you know, we've seen FAF do some amazing things for Sale and for South Africa. Um, and we've become a little bit sort of one-sided and, and a bit dismissive of, of someone like Will Cliff, who's, you know, been with us for over a decade and, and is a solid performer at premiership level. I think it's important that the fans see that as well. And that FAF sees it because we need him to feel just a little bit of pressure that, you know, he does need to perform at his peak for sale. And if he does, then that's probably the difference between us being in the top four or not. So uh, that's good. And also, Faf put, has got a great pass, right, when he concentrates on it. Of both hands, he's, his ball is quicker through the air than Wilcliffe's. But Wilcliffe's just more accurate, isn't he? he mm. You know, he's out in front of Rob Dupree every single time. So it always shows that even the best players in the world, like Faf de Klerk, have got something to learn from a journeyman like, uh, as it was described uh, in the Times today uh, by Stuart Barnes, like Will Cliff, you know, get the ball out in front of your fly half and the fly half can pull the strings. So, you know, look at Sam James and Luke James. They, I mean, Sam James has been in great form since he came back from injury and Luke James was absolutely superb. First start at 15, um, of the season. We thought that he was a stopgap last year. I think he's a real option at 15. You know, his kicking game is still seems to be improving. He actually played on the Monday night. No wonder we had to come off with cramp. He played 80 minutes for the Jets on Monday night. You know, you know so he must have played well then to get the nod. And, uh, you know, I think it goes to show that we do have talent in this back line. You know, and uh, that Luke James try, it reminded me, sorry, I'm probably not, it reminded me of the Matt Tate, Matt Tate break um, in the World Cup final in 2007. Um, because he has to, he had the, the defender overruns him and he steps back inside. Well, Matt Tate was brought down before the try line just against South Africa in that World Cup final. Luke James just kept ploughing ahead and scored a great try, I thought. So, um, yeah, I mean, everyone benefited. Rob Dupree and the James brothers, excellent. Yeah, just wanted to say the best bit about that Luke James try was when he stepped Danny Kerr. It was absolutely brilliant. He just he barely even moved, but he just put Danny Kerr on his ass, which was one of my favourite moments of the whole game because there's no one that epitomises my hatred of Quinns more than Danny Kerr when he's playing for them. It's like you guys have been reading my notes for this week's podcast because Luke James at 15 was, was what I wanted to discuss next because in a in a... In a performance by a team where everybody played very, very well and you're up against a very poor Harlequins team, you know, you still have to score tries, you still have to make things happen. And obviously, Sam James will obviously get, get the plaudits. You know, he had a fantastic game. He was man of the match on, as chosen by BT's commentators. But Luke James at 15, you know, really, really interesting sort of selection choice coming into the game. Obviously, Ashton did play, um, but on the wing, you know, and Simon Hammersley looks like he's still out with, with an injury. And we saw a lot of Luke James in the second half of last season at 15. And we sort of spoke about how he's got, you know, he's got great boot. Um, in his positioning, he's pretty good. But he does like a bit of foot speed and that, that does catch you out, you know, when you're having to defend broken, broken field play. But, you know, and I'm, I'm more than happy to, to agree or disagree on this. You know, I thought on Friday night, we saw the best performance from a fullback in terms of an all-around game from Luke James than anyone else we've seen all season. And that includes Chris Ashton and Simon Hammersley. And Alex, if, if I'm just looking at Friday's game and what went right for sale and, and how we can continue emulating that for the rest of the year... For me, it seems like a no-brainer to, to to give Luke James an extended look at, at, at getting a chance to nail down that 15 shirt as his own. 
Yeah, I agree. I think he was brilliant on, on Friday night. And what he gives us is a solidity under the high ball, which um, Ashton doesn't. But then I do think he's just got a bit more pace and sort of um, finishing ability than, than Simon Hammersley. And, and I think, you know, Hammersley is, is a brilliant player and I think he was one of our star players early in the season. Um, but I think you, you saw from Luke James that what he's worked on in his game and the development you've seen from him from when he broke through, it's just been such an upward curve because, you know, he's, he didn't have that sort of pace and that stepping ability when he first started playing for us, but you can see it at fullback and you can see that he's developed it and he's got the strength he, and he just looks so solid and reliable and a, a really good boot to go with that. So, you know, I, I do think um, he lacks pace to probably be, ever be a top-level fullback. Um you know, he's he's just not quite got that real gas that maybe you know he won't he won't play for England at fullback, but you know from a sale point of view, I think he is someone that could play fullback for the club for a long long time. He just looks brilliant there, and you know we saw that last season, and it was sort of you know we we signed Hammersley this season, and you're thinking okay Luke James is going to go back into the centre where we've seen him before, but actually I think he looks far more impressive at fullback than he ever has at centre and he's looked really good at centre um, he just seems to sort of command the game I think he enjoys the, the room at fullback a bit more um, you know we had an easy time of it on Friday it'd be interesting to see him in a sort of team that's not not doing as well and I do think we need to factor in that this sale team weren't playing as well when Simon Hammersley was starting at fullback and he still looked really good so it'd be interesting to see Luke James in that sort of position when the team aren't playing as well um, and equally to see Simon Hammersley in this team when they're a bit more on the front foot. But yeah, I, I absolutely agree that seeing him at fullback is, is, is a must for later on in the season. And, and, you know, going forward now, we don't know what's happening with Hammersley, whether he's injured. Um, but Luke James looks like the answer at 15 that we sort of didn't know we had. Mm, absolutely. And it's interesting as well because we came into the season with a, with a lot of star quality in a lot of different positions in the back line. But as we've seen to start the season, we're not 100% sure yet the best way to employ everybody together. We've tried people in different positions, different combinations. And to be perfectly honest, a lot of them haven't worked. But the last couple of weeks, we're starting to see that back line, that, that ideal first choice back line fall into place with Van Rensburg at 12, Sam James at 13, both of whom were excellent on, on Friday, you know, real driving forces for us in different ways in that midfield. And and Luke James coming in and, and offering a really steady option at 15, much in the way that Hammersley's been to start the year, but obviously, um, you know, James has ca- capped it off with an absolutely fantastic individual try. Uh, James, you got anything to add on, on Luke James? Yeah, I mean, the thing about Luke James is he's, you know, he's just... He's another one of these players who's massively underrated. He's never had a bad game for sale. You know, it doesn't matter whether he's playing at 12 or at 13 or at 15. He's just always solid. I think what was different about this weekend is he was more than just solid. He was one of our best players and he went from being a kind of like 7 out of 10, doing some basics, making some good decisions, solid under the high ball, clearly developing his game to actually being a bit of a diff- the difference you know, that try was a really important try. And it was a bit of genius as well. He did show a bit of gas. I think he's been working on his top-line pace. So I, I just think, you know, this lad, it, he's not thought of, but he keeps surprising us with what he's doing with his skill sets. And I'm mean, really interested to see where he goes in his career because he's only 21. You know, he, he's not been playing in the backs that long. And, and he's now, 
can play 12, 13 or 15 at premiership level at 21. So I'm quite excited about where he can go, whether he'll play for England or not, I don't know. But he doesn't deserve to be discounted on, on that yet because I think he's really shown a capacity for huge improvement. So, no, massive fan of Lee James. We were advocating him in the season that actually, you know, he deserved to start the season maybe at 13, that, you know, he was showing enough form for that. And he's had to wait really patiently to be given a chance. Um, and now, you know, I'd say that some of, someone else needs to, that Hammersley needs to do something to get back into the team. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, obviously, Luke James and, and Sam James, both both James brothers, will, will take the obvious plaudits from the game, and, and rightly so. But it was a great team performance. And I know before we start to maybe dig into some stats and, you know, take a look at who, who else impressed, you know, I think one thing I wanted to highlight from this game was just how varied our attack was and how varied all all the tries, you know, they all came from very different methods. And I think that was that was one thing that we shouldn't discount when we look back at this game, is the fact is, we, you know, we scored from broken field play with that first try from, from Aka van der Merwe, the great hands and great vision from Rob Dupria to that little inside ball. You know, obviously Sam James comes from, you know, some, you know, a very opportunistic counter-attack, you know, much of the way that Quinn scored. That's exactly what Sale did. You know, Gonover Butcher's, uh, which is, you know, almost a certain try. We kick it downfield, we get a bit lucky and we score a try. Luke James, you know, a little bit of individual brilliance in the midfield, breaks clear and we score. And then obviously what we did really well from there on is, you know, we kept the pressure up, we kept kicking for the corner. You know, I don't think we played the Marlison bin particularly well, but, you know, it's in 65 minutes in, you were going for that bonus point, we kept the pressure on and we pushed them over from a rolling mall. And then actually from there, the floodgate starts to open the pressure's off and we scored two really good tries through the hands. You know, one of the things we haven't mentioned today about Will Cliff was that actually he's got the try assist on Chris Ashton's try. You know, great play where he's uh, taking the ball at first receiver and popping the ball inside for Ashton. And then obviously later on you have the Van Rensburg try, which is, you know, just reward for, for what was a great individual effort from him. And, you know, I'm going to throw it back to Alex and ask, you know, if there's any other players that stood out. But before we do that, I really wanted to emphasise this was a really, really good team performance, not only defensively, but going forward as well. And we showed that, you know, regardless of how poor Harlequins were, we are actually able to beat teams and score tries in a myriad of different ways. And for me, that, that was my key takeaway from Friday. And that's why, off the back of this result, I'm, I'm very optimistic about how good this team can be for the rest of the season. Alex? Yeah, I think the rolling mall is looking brilliant this season. That's massive credit to Dorian West. Um, I think, and you know, going along with that, Aka van der Merwe and Rob Webber both had brilliant games. It's a real shame Aka had to come off, um, but you saw the the difference that spending up to the cap makes. That we were bringing Rob Webber off the bench, and he was again one of our best players. Um, but then, what I think, you know, that that rolling mall has looked all season like it might be a really, really damaging weapon that we can use, and you know. That Friday night was just more evidence of that. Um, in the backs, I think you saw that we were finally getting the ball out wide and round the Quinn's defence. There was a lot of time we created opportunities when we actually could have moved the ball or if a pass had been a bit more accurate, we'd have had people in space, um, you know, and, and probable tries. Um, so that was what was really encouraging, that what we've seen to struggle to do this season is is manoeuvre defences and create gaps and get round the outside of defences, whereas what we actually did this time was, you know, we were holding men in, drawing men in. The the combination of Dupree, Van Rensburg, James seemed to work really well. We had runners who were looking threatening and, you know, we could, we could either give it to a a big forward carrier to hit it up and they'd make metres or we could send it round the back and then round the outside. Um, so, you know, I think 
you are right that in, in this was a team performance and a lot of people had very good games, but I don't think, you know, apart from Luke James, who we've probably spoken about, and Jean-Luc Dupriere, who we've also spoken about, I don't think anyone was was that good to make the difference to the game. And, and that's sort of the point that there were brilliant performances all across the field um, in, as you say, a completely different ways, you know, Someone like Ross Harris and Akavan Lemurva putting in the hard yards in those malls, but then Rohan running the ball in the loose question through a lot of tackles, probably one of his, again, one of his best games for sale. Um, Rob Dupree moving chains, kicking brilliantly. Um, you know, and, and Sam James's kicks to, kicks to touch were unbelievable on, on Friday, I thought. You know, I think that's a massively underrated part of his game that, that gives us a lot of go forward and a lot of territory that we wouldn't otherwise have. Um, so, as you say, you know, this was a proper team performance. And it's one of those games where we can talk about so many outstanding performances all over the pitch that, you know, you feel like you could do the podcast for about five hours and we won't just to make sure that anyone listening doesn't switch off immediately. But um, it, it was, as you say, so many, so many variety of try scoring methods, of, of attacking sort of methods and defensive qualities that, yes, yeah, you can't really pick anyone out, I think. I think you have to look at it and go, what a team performance. And just, just quickly on defence as well, you know, I know people get sick of talking about pincer defences and blitzing defences. You know, we, we do talk about it a lot. But there was a moment late in the game where we, we, we forced a turnover from, from Quinn's about 15 yards behind the game line. It was actually Marlon Yard who, who forced the turnover. Not necessarily someone who's known for, for sort of his defensive acumen. But what I noticed on Friday was that we have a defensive structure where everybody is bought into it. And we are, you know, high progressive uh, off the edge. You know, we, we form a, you know, an umbrella formation or a pincer or whatever you want to call it. And it means that when, you know, Harlequins are looking to get the ball wide, we, we had people in the passing lanes to either, you know, try and intercept a pass, you know, hit the ball carrier at speed or force to play back inside where, you know, the Dupriers or Ross or whoever can can make the uh, make the tackle and it's a low-risk play from our perspective. But, you know, I think when, you, when you've got people like Marlon Yard and, and Byron McGuigan, who, you know, I thought had a really solid game again, getting into these positions, it, it shows that we have built a, a structure defensively that masks some of the individual weaknesses of, of, our, of our individual defenders and actually... Uh, helps increase the defensive acumen, you know, the defensive rigidity of, of a lot of players because they can fall into a system where they're going to be put in a position you know, to make plays behind the game line. And I thought the fact that we're not seeing Marlon Yard or Byron McGuigan or Van Rensburg or any of these other players being actively targeted on the game line you know, and, and conceding sort of soft metres you know, just shows how good our defensive structure is and how it's been built to, to mask some inadequacies in some places and really play on our on the strengths of our individual players. And I think you know, we've got that in defence. It's now just whether or not we can replicate that and, and continue to sort of hone this attacking system that it feels like we're starting to see bear fruit a little bit. Uh, James, before we before we move on to stats, you know, def- you know, defensively great, attacking great, you know, structurally pretty good. Um, is there one that you wanted to highlight in terms of, uh, you know, individual performances that we've not already done? I think we've pretty covered pretty much everyone, haven't we? I mean, it was good to see Rob Webber come on and, you know, we just had a really good line out, didn't we? And it's amazing how important that is. I mean, Sam James can put up five metres out all he wants, but if we're not going to win our own ball, then there's no point. Um, on Sam James kicking, I was almost as if, like, you know, once we went further and far enough ahead, he got even more confidence, started pushing it even more. And I, I, I've criticised him in the past for being a bit conservative with his left boot. 
what he's shown is he's got the skills. You know, if that was Henry Slade, you know, people would be falling over themselves saying how amazing it is. And I think with, mm. with Slade um, injured, Joseph that little bit older, I, I think Sam James, he's, he's, he's in international form. I really honestly do. So I'll just leave that as a finishing point for our discussion on, on the game. Right, let's do some stats, Alex. Okay, it's going to be a very positive week, stats-wise, as you'll no doubt have guessed. Um, six tries, six conversions for Sale, to one try, one conversion for Quinns. Um, you know, there's where to start, I guess, attacking-wise. We made 358 metres, which was actually less than Quinns, unbelievably. Um, but we made it off 123 carries compared to their 154. Um, so we made 2.91 metres per carry, but I just think we were so much more clinical. When you look at our possession, I think 14% of it ended in a try. Um, so that's, that's the massive difference. And... As we were saying about, you know, we were talking about um, us dominating the game, dominating possession. We had 44% of possession and 45% of the territory, which it didn't feel like we did at all because we controlled the ball so well. But I think, you know, Quinn's just had a couple of purple patches in the game where they were attacking, but they just weren't getting anywhere. And that brings me on to our defence. Um, 90% tackle success rate, 176 tackles made, 19 missed. Compare that to Quinn's, uh, as you can probably guess, it's not going to be pretty reading. They missed 30 tackles overall for an 80% tackle success rate. Um, to go into our attack first, some massive metres made. Rohan Janssen van Rensburg with 74 metres off 14 carries, um, which is pretty incredible. And then Luke James with 70 metres off nine carries. Again, a massive return. And just to caveat Luke James, he only made 18 of those 70 metres off kick return which historically we've always said for a fullback, you, you end up getting really inflated stats because you get to run about 10 metres every time you catch the ball with no opposition. So that's, you know, a massive um, a massive sort of feather in the cap of Luke James. And Rohan also mentioned Sam James, who made 41 metres off 11 carries. And then some big work up front from John Luke Dupria and Johnny Ross, 21 carries between them um, and making a total of 36 metres between them. And Aka van der Merwe, four carries, 27 metres, only on the field for about 15, 20 minutes, but still made a massive difference. Um, so attacking-wise, some really good performances. There's obviously more in all of that, but I won't go too much into detail. Um Defenders beaten, Rohan beat 11 defenders, which um, is just a massive number and quite impressive. And Luke James beat six. So, again, I think that kind of supports our, our what we were saying before. Um, going into defence, just some outstanding individual performances. Ross Harrison, 20 out of 21 tackles. Will Griff John, 16 out of 16. John Luke, 16 out of 17. John Ross. Uh, 18 out of 19, Tom Curry 16 out of 18, and Dan Dupree 19 out of 19. Um, and I think just on on Dan Dupree, a quiet attacking game, but you see there 19 out of 19 tackles, second most out of our team. Um, I think you know he is such a quality performer, and even when he doesn't have the biggest week in, in attack, he still delivers in defence. Um, and Rob Webber 14 out of 15 tackles. So I think you know the forwards are a massive part of that sort of huge defensive effort um nothing major in the backs and i think that sort of speaks to the fact that we were just pushing them back at every occasion and the organization of our defense is such that the forwards are put in a position to make those tackles um we also won eight turnovers um so johnny ross 
Jean-Luc Dupreya, Dan Dupreya, all winning turnovers and a sort of smattering amongst the backs. Um, penalties conceded, we only conceded seven in the game, which is a really good record in our discipline, given that every time Quinn's got a scrum feed, they got a penalty. Um, and equally, every time we got a scrum feed, we got a penalty. Uh, Quinn's conceded 14 penalties in the games, so just to put that into perspective. We were, we were all over them, and I think you saw that they lost their heads quite a bit in this game, um, which was another pleasing aspect of the week. Um, and finally, lineouts save the best for last. Uh, 18 out of 18, unbelievable. So Rob Webber, 11 out of 11. Uh, Aka van der Merwe, 6 out of 6. And then Leek James took a quick one, which um, obviously was successful. Um, just on those, Bryn Evans and Dan Dupree winning five each. John Ross winning three. Tom Curry winning one. And James Phillips winning two. Um, and I think that sort of, the variety of our line-out options is probably something that's starting to... Um, come through in the game and we're showing that we've got a bit of ingenuity as about as a line out and when we get executed accurately you see that it actually leads to really successful rolling balls and i think that's part of it so as the line out improves the rolling ball will improve and we'll be scoring more tries off that so that's a really encouraging stat for me because all season i've had to look and go yeah we've lost about 10 line outs we've lost more than half um and 18 out of 18 is an absolutely brilliant result um so yeah i think they're all the major stats um, nothing else that really stuck out just some excellent individual performances especially in attack um, and supporting the fact that Luke James had an absolutely brilliant game so yeah that's all from me thanks to Ben and Opta again as always Well statistically speaking or from the eye test thrashing Quinns marked the perfect start to a new decade so what better time to pause and reflect on, on the decade that's just been You know, we, we teased this a little bit last week, but you know we did kind of want to do, uh, you know, a decade in review for sale, given that we're now into the uh, the roaring twenties. So, looking at the period, the last ten years, it's fair to say it's been a bit of an up and down decade for the Sharks, who in that period have qualified for the Heineken Cup four times, finished tenth three times, moved stadium, been bought by new owners, went to the final of a domestic cup resurrected the careers of Danny Cipriani, James O'Connor, Marlon Yard and others, and also somehow been embroiled in a pizza-related scandal, amongst countless other things. So with the calendar now rolling over to 2020, we want to dedicate you know, a little bit of time this week to look back at the, the 10 years that was for sale and pick out some, some highs and lows and other memorable moments from in between. And I actually want to start, we've not done a quiz, but I want to start this with a, a quick quiz question for, for either Alex or, or James to answer. Ten years ago, who was the director of rugby and head coach combination for sale? Uh, well, ooh, ten years. Twenty ten. Ooh, um, I'm going to go with Jason Robinson, Kingsley Jones. I'd say. Yeah, I was going to go with Kingsley Jones. Was it? I'm going to go Kingsley Jones and Pete Anglesey. It was, I'm going to have to give all the points to James. It's Kings, Kingsley Jones is the director of rugby and Jason Robinson is the head coach. Wow. Yeah. How times have changed. Yeah. Un- unbelievable. And you think, you know, you have to do this decade in review and you think, actually, whoa, where was the club 10 years ago? Well, it was at Edgeley Park with the club legend and, you know, as, a, as, as the head coach. You know, it's absolutely insane to think of, of, of how far we've come um, in that time. And obviously now looking, you know, to... to you know, bigger and brighter, uh, bigger and brighter future in a league that's changed dramatically. 
So we've kind of got we've got some categories here that we're going to sort of run through in terms of just trying to trying to encapsulate you know the, the key moments of, of the decade. And I wanted to start with with the fondest memory. You know, there's been a lot of rugby played, a lot of lot of uh, you know a lot of very special events that have happened. But you know, Alex, what, what's been your fondest memory of, of, of sale or, or rugby in general from the last uh, last decade? Um, I'm going to go at it with a sale angle, and I know it's recent, but beating Saris at home last season was one of the best sort of atmospheres I've ever been involved at in a rugby game, uh, you know, towards the end of the game when Robbie the kit man was leading the crowd. Um, and, and we genuinely beat Saris. We made them, we made them look like the worst team on the day. And for so long this decade, a decade that's probably been dominated by Saracens as a rugby force. I've just thought we've never got a chance of beating these guys. They're just too good in every aspect of the game. We, we genuinely beat them and dominated them that day. So I think that that for me was sort of, you know, I've never felt like that at a rugby game, that sort of, or certainly not at a sale game, that sort of excitement and that, that crowd atmosphere. You know, it's something that we haven't had probably since we were winning the Premiership in 2006. So for me, that was just such a highlight and such a, this is what this club could be if it all comes together. Um, so yeah, that's it for me. What about you boys? I think I think for myself, um, it was it was the La Rochelle away day um, last uh, last year. You know, it was yes, it's the Challenge Cup. You know, yes, it, it's a competition doesn't mean as, as as much, but kind of that you know, 150 sale fans at the the Marcel de, uh, you know the 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 Marcel de Fondre in um, in La Rochelle. You know, the amazing away day, amazing atmosphere, packed stadium. You know, semi final of a European competition. Yes, it was a Challenge Cup. No, it wasn't the Heineken Cup. But it, it did it did genuinely feel like this is kind of the the occasions that you'd want Sale to be in contention for every single year. And I think the combination of, you know, the weather, the stadium, the, the context, the, the performance we put in, you know, even in a losing effort, you know, I think that was it's kind of a it's kind of a sign of, of how good things, you know, could be for sale in the in the in the sort of upcoming decade. And I think that's that's got a very special place in my heart. And especially because La Rochelle is an amazing place to go, as I'm sure a lot of people already know. James, what about you? What was yours? Uh, I've got winning at Gloucester last game of the season. It's probably about four years ago, maybe five years ago now. And Andy Powell picking the ball up at the base of the scrum and kicking it into the shed and qualifying for the Heineken Cup last game of the season. You know, we've come a long way since then. You know, those days, no no pounds for squad or anything, massive overachieving. So yeah. that, was, that was a great memory. Andy Powell, that, that brings certainly brings back some memories. Uh, Going away from sort of happy memories to, to, to maybe something a little bit more bittersweet, you know, um, for our next category, which is the low light of the decade. You know, Alex, what was sort of the lowest point for you in terms of uh, uh, a tumultuous 10 years for sale? Oh, hasn't it just? Um, I think that's why my best moment came from last season because there's been a hell of a lot of, of sort of rubbish to put up with. Um, do you know when I when I drafted these earlier, I said the loss versus Northampton last season when we got seventy points put on us basically. But I actually think that that season when we nearly got relegated as a whole was just disastrous. You know, it was hell getting to the AJ Bell to go and watch us play rubbish rugby, and for a long time not look like we were going to win 
Um, and the elation at the end of it was only because of the sort of worry and genuine concern before it. So I'm actually going to go for the first half of that. I think it was 2012-13 season um, for me. That was just not a, not the best time to be a sale fan and probably the worst time to be a sale fan. Was that the year that London got a points deduction? Yeah, London West got a points deduction for fielding the ineligible scrum off and that's basically what saved us. It's it's interesting because because that is my that's my low light of the decade is is losing to London Welsh at home um, at the beginning of that that terrible losing streak we had to to start the twenty twelve uh, twenty yeah twenty twelve thirteen season just moved into the new stadium you know raft of big name signings and that loss was the sort of turning point that said you know any sort of early season optimism has to be thrown away and we have to face the reality that we're actually in a relegation battle now. Because if I remember correctly, losing to Welsh put them like 10 points ahead of us at that time. And, you know, we were flat bottom until, you know, 11, 12, 13 games into the season. Um, so for me, you know, that was kind of like all, it was very sale, all the optimism of the coming season, you know, with, with like I said, the new stadium and the new signings kind of just evaporated as soon as we lost. And I think we lost 29-21 as well, so we didn't even get anything out of the game. So that was, that was my low light. James? Uh, for me, it was just kind of this slow trickle of losing great talent out of the northwest region. You know, people like Gaskell, Taylor, McIntyre, Miller. You know, you look at people like Atkinson who are performing well at Gloucester, who's come come from the Sale Academy. You know, some of them have been our decisions, some of them have been their decisions, but certainly losing talent from the region was difficult. But I think losing Richard Wigglesworth followed the season after by Charlie Hodgson was... I mean, I, I was really low. You know, when Charlie decided to move on, it really hit home that we were really just a, a really minor club that was going to be in relegation battles. Um, and, you know, that was really tough to take. And, OK, we've come a long way since then, but we should never take it for granted talking about people like Lou Yager and Fafta Clerk because, you know, we used to talk a lot about Jason White and Sebastian Chabal and Sebastian Bruno. And then just a few years later, you know, Charlie Hodgson signing for, and Richard Wiggle was signing for Saracens. You know, things can uh, go bad quite quick. So let's make the most of it while we can. Well, let's uh, let, let's go back to feeling a bit more optimistic. So that was a pretty bleak answer, James. I'm not going to lie. Um, best best off-field decision made by the club over, over the last 10 years. Uh, I'm going to throw it back to James because I think you need cheering up. Yeah, well, actually, I mean, it's a bit linked to that because... Um, that season was the year that Steve Diamond came back to the club and, and he gets a lot of stick, not least from, from us sometimes. And, you know, we're not going to pretend to be a mouthpiece of the club. And when we need to criticise the coaching staff, we will. But there is no doubt about it that that year with the whole debacle with Mike Brewer definitely led to Charlie leaving the club. Uh, Steve Diamond left behind an opportunity to go to the World Cup with Russia um, to come back to Sale. And there's no doubt that certainly during those final Kennedy years um, that he may well have saved professional rugby in the Northwest um, by, you know, getting a lot out of the squad and, and, and doing much more with it. So I'd say, you know, real positive, re-signing Steve Diamond in the, in the 2010 decade was easily our best, in my view. Alex, what do you reckon? Yeah, I do agree with James, but in the interest of providing something else, I think um, getting Fafta Clerk 
and contract extension was massive because I think that sort of signalled this new era where not only are we able to we attracted Faf when he was out of favour, but we kept him when he was one of the best players in the world and nominated for World Player of the Year. And I think being able to do that and sort of going, I know it's in a different situation where we have the funds now to be able to do it, but I think that's really set the tone for bringing other people to the club and showing everyone that we're really serious about becoming a big club, not just sort of doing that 2006 boom and then bust um, sort of model. So, I agree with James 100%. I think Steve Diamond is the best thing that's happened to the club over the last decade. And genuinely, as you say, without him, um, we, we would be massively struggling. But re-signing Faf de Klerk, uh, for me, has to go up there as a, a massive sort of moment and sea change in our in our history. I'm going to have to, to go with Alex on this one as well. It's not just the fact that we signed the, you know, the clerk and, you know, big statement of intent. It's the fact that, and I'm sure some fans know this, I don't know, I don't know how open it is, but the talk was that there was a couple of teams in France and, and potentially Saracens as well that, you know, had their eye on the clerk and, you know, had, had sort of made the, the, the sort of move to sort of gauge his interest in moving. And, the, the interesting thing as well with the clerk is not only did he turn those teams down, but he re-signed with Sale. Apparently, and this is this is apparently um, without taking a pay rise. You know, he, he signed on for the for the same amount of money. Um, you know, he just wanted to extend his deal with the club because he, you know, he, he was enjoying himself at the time. You know, the club so much. He, you know, he, he completely bought into the club's vision, and obviously had a great relationship with you know with the the, the, the players, the staff, and obviously the coaching staff as well. So not only to beat teams like I think it was Montpellier was was linked and Saracens as well, um, but you know to to keep him and actually keep him without having to dramatically inflate his salary, I think you know is a testament to to all the good work that the club's done off the field and in, in building sales uh, back up as a. Uh, as a rugby powerhouse, um, I'm going to go revert back. Slightly, something slightly negative. Um, worst off-field decision. I'm glad you mentioned Brian Kennedy, James, because I'm going to start with with with, with this category. Um, I don't know if either of you remember, but obviously in the last sort of couple of years of, of Kennedy's ownership of the club, you know, there's a lot of talk about the lack of investment, you know, absentee owner, etc. And I remember there was a massive deal made about this. Um, this this special message from from club owner Brian Kennedy that was going to air before the uh, I think it was the Wasps game uh, in the I think it's the fifteen sixteen season um, you know massive thing made about the club people thinking you know new signing or more investment or something you know new stadium whatever and they actually played it on the on the big screens before the game and it was basically just uh, get behind your club you know keep supporting sale keep doing what you do and you know let's let's see what happens and I think for me. I don't really know who sanctioned it, but in, in certain cases like that, you think maybe it's better to, to not really say anything because there was, I remember very clearly, there was a lot of disappointment in and around the club after uh, after that message had gone out and it turned out to be, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a letdown. Alex, do you remember that? Distinctly. And wasn't there something about Danny Cipriani around the same time that I've got a vague recollection of? Um, yeah, what yeah, a very weird time, and um, I genuinely think that a lot of credit has to go to Simon Orange and Jed Mason for sort of um, perhaps being a bit more a open and honest, but also not sticking their sort of noses in where where it's not needed. So yeah, I I remember it and I agree with it. For me, um, something slightly trumps that, and that's picking the AJ Bell as our destination for post life Edgley Park. I think. Uh, unfortunately, the timings didn't quite work out that 
if Simon Orange and Jed Mason had come in earlier or if Edgley Park and maybe had five more years left in it, um, we would have ended up at a better stadium. It, it's, it wasn't a great facility, but those first five years at the AJ Bell were a real struggle. And I think it's only just recently become a stadium that sort of, I can say to people, no, yeah, they actually go down because it is quite good now because the rugby's good. But I think, you know, it's just the 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 chaos of getting there um, far outweighs the fact that it is a decent stadium and perhaps it was a bit short-sighted and sort of right when you get away from Stockport and no one actually thought about the longer-term impacts and we're sort of now trapped in this really high rent, no other income like food and beverage um, and unable to get out until we find our own place and we can't get it off Salford, we can't buy the stadium. So, you know, I think that um, while a move was needed, I think choosing the AJ Bell has to be, for me, the worst decision because if we were at a different stadium, one where we owned it or got a bit more money from food and beverages, I think we'd be in a much better position as a club, personally. Yeah, I have to agree with you there, Alex. I think moving to the AJ Bell without the adequate infrastructure planning was a mistake. And clearly, we had to move from Edgley Park. Um, but we could have stayed there and took the fines for a couple more years. I, I, I think we could have played much more hardball with Peel Holdings and with Salford Council to do much more around the infrastructure before we moved in. It's only now, really, that it's, um, it's only the last 12 months where it's become an enjoyable match day experience because of the travelling into and out of the stadium. I say they're doing a really good job with it, and I think that's why the, the, the crowds are, are picking up. But as you said, there's still major problems intact because we don't own it. Um, and, uh, you know, we were still left with this issue at least for another season after this one. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens after that. Yeah, well, we're kind of talking about the right part of the decade for this next one, and that's the one that got away. So, you know, James, you mentioned, you know, that it was, you know, with your sort of worst moments of the decade. Who, who was the, the one player that, if, beyond uh, everyone else, you wish Sal could have kept hold of? Uh, that's a really interesting one, Matt, because that's the question I missed out in my prep. So thanks for coming to me first. <laughs> <laughs> the one that got away. Oh, well, God, we've got quite a few there, haven't we? Uh, Michele Pessimino. <laughs> that is an amazing choice. <laughs> well, I just, I just, I just, it was the funniest episode and the least funny episode in sale history. Um, first, closely followed by Chris Chesney, um, which was also pretty funny. Um, so, uh, I mean, whether they're the ones that got away in a sense that they would have made a difference to the club, I don't know. But just in a sense of they literally got away, um, then that sounds like the question. Was it Juan de Kruger who um, was definitely, definitely coming and then an ultrasound picture went up and that was how we found out that he wasn't coming? That was a, that was a great moment. Brilliant. So is, is Kruger your, your choice, Alex? Um, yeah, if we go down this tack, which I think we should, then yes, Juan de Kruger putting up a picture of his unborn baby to basically announce that he wasn't coming to sale has to rank as one of the best and weirdest experiences as a sale fan I've had. I see. I feel a bit shortchanged now because I've taken this this one a little bit more, uh, a little bit less literally. Uh, I actually went for Mike Haley, um, who I thought is sort of the one that got away that you know we if, ideally we could have kept. You know, we we've just been chatting about fullbacks and sort of you know what a difference he makes. And I know James, you've been banging the drum for a long time in, in that we don't re- we didn't realise just how good uh, you know Mike Haley was um, in terms of 
you know, just just how much he brought to the team and how much he, he changed things on the pitch. And obviously, the fact he's now a, a captain Island international is obviously uh, sort of testament to you know to just how just how quality a player he was. Given that we've we've already started to sort of hint towards, let's let's do before we do best signing, let's do worst signing. Who's your worst signing in the decade? I'm going to start this one off. Uh, I spoke about 2012-13, a lot of disappointment from from that player crop. Um, I'd probably have to say Richie Gray. Like, good lord, you know. <laughs> to have a player with such massive expectations, such pedigree, joining the club, it was a real statement of intent. And uh, my goodness, he he did not last long at uh, at Sale. You know, another one who who's managed to slip away. Uh, I think this time during the uh, the Six Nations in 2013. Yeah, another one that arrived at about the same time, Richie Vernon. You know, lots of talent, but never really made an impact. But I'm going to go for. Uh, Mike Brewer. So for both my signings, I've gone for coaches. Um, and uh, Mike Brewer, I mean, I mean, he took a club already in a lot of trouble and uh, did a lot of damage in about three months. Yeah, I, I think um, both. I, my original choice was Richie Gray. Um, just value, the money we were spending, um, it, a, a, a shocking return on that investment uh, and Mike Brewer genuinely I think put the club back quite a few years with with the way he went about things um, for me I'll just throw another couple of names into the hat um, both Italian internationals who did amazing things on the rugby pitch unfortunately none of them actually contributed to sale winning any games but uh, Alberto Di Marchi who apparently too long were interested in um, and looked like he brought absolutely nothing to the team. And then Luke McLean for some of the most hilarious moments at fullback I've seen in quite a long time. Um, I genuinely think Luke McLean is a better player than he seemed at Sale. But there were a few moments where you went, what's he doing here? And I think um, them moving on was probably in the best interest of both them and the club. Also, I've just had a very quick thought of those great choices, by the way, um, to, to both of you. Um, in terms of the one that got away, the one that was on the tip of my tongue that I've just remembered was uh, Corny Ice, another one of the 2012-13 uh, crop of, of stars who'd come in. Uh, I think he played about three games for sale, disappeared at Christmas and then resurfaced somewhere in South Africa in the new year. So I think that would be be my choice uh, after that that category got, got hijacked. Um so then, finally, you know, final two. You know, we want to end on a uh, sorry, final three. We want to end on a positive note. Uh, Alex, best signing of the decade. Yeah, a relatively simple one for me. This um, Dan Braid, because I genuinely think without him, we wouldn't have stayed up in that season, um, and I think that would have been disastrous for us as a club. So Dan Braid by a million miles. Well, I'm going to go. I, I was stuck between three on this one. I'm going to go for Vadim Kobilas. Um just because it's such a stereotypical Steve Diamond tyre, just found some some lad from Moldova um, and basically just stuck him in the Jets for a couple of years. And then after that, he suddenly become, you know, the, the best tight head in the premiership, playing 80 minutes every single week. Didn't he have, no, have another tight head in the squad? We were having to play a, 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 an average Italian um, international loose head, a tight head in, and things like that. Um, and he was brilliant, and he's gone on to prove how good he is at Bordeaux as well. And he's he's been in the uh, uh, the sort of the top fourteen team of the year like two years in a row at Tighthead. He's still playing really, really well. So I think Vadim Kobadas for me is is one of the best signings. That's a great choice, and I'm actually I'm going to go back to that 2012-13 class for for mine. And 
a little bit controversial. I'm going to say Danny Cipriani, not necessarily because I think he was the best signing that Sale have made, you know, per se. I don't think he's the best player or the player who's, you know, you know, played the best for, for Sale in, in the decade, you know, compared to someone like Kobias or, or Dan Brave. But I think, you know, we mentioned it before, at a time when the club was struggling in terms of attendances, you know, struggling in terms of, you know, get you know, generating fanfare around the club and getting people out to the AJ Bell and you know, especially when we weren't necessarily performing very well either. Um, I think Danny Cipriani, rightly or wrongly, you know, he, he brought, you know, media attention and media eyes to the club. Um, you know, he gave, you know, he was very clearly the sort of star attraction, the marquee player. He was somebody who obviously developed massively, you know, under under Steve Diamond and the coaching staff. And I do sort of wonder sometimes, you know, what state the club would have been in, you know, circa 2015, you know, 2014, if we didn't have at least somebody to throw out there in front of the media, you know, for, for opposition fans to get excited about seeing, you know, somebody to put on the, the you know, the banners around the, the, the Sharky. Just little things like that, I think, do do make a massive difference. And, you know, at, at a time when, you know, things were looking pretty, pretty bleak for the club, he was if nothing else, uh, you know, a, a star player to, to, to market the team around. Um, you know, so in a lot of ways, it worked out very fortuitously for sale, but I'd uh, I'd go with Danny Cipriani on the, on that one. Um, and then last two, moment of the decade. I'm going to read off a couple that um, our fans, of uh, our, uh, our listeners have sent in, um, just because obviously, you know, it's not, not just about us and we would assume that there's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of people thinking the same. Um, Lexity says, you know, the bonus point win away at Gloucester, you know, Tom Whitaker, the, you know, having four sale players, you know, in the World Cup final, Nick Fogarty, the signing of Faf, uh, Jamie, Jed uh, and Simon securing sales future, uh, Matt Sansbury, you know, the injury time winner against Wasps, Marlon Yard in like the 92nd minute, you know, a couple of other people saying the signing of Faf. Uh, after clerics try saving tackle on Danny Kerr, that's from Jonathan Gibson from last season, and then Peter Taylor, uh, you know, signing John O'Ross, you know, as, uh, as the current club captain. It's really good choices there. A lot, obviously, from the latter part of the decade. My personal moment is, uh, you know, four players in the Rugby World Cup final. You know, we just, just said about keeping media attention on the club, no better way to do it than having four of your players in the, in the game showpiece event. Uh, Alex, you know, what was, uh, what was your moment of the decade? Got to be that Marlon Yard try against Wasps just because the amount of times I've watched this club concede a try in the last minute to lose the game. It's very nice to see it happen the other way around for once. So I will go with the Marlon Yard try for me. James, what about you? Uh, I've gone for the new owners. You know, talking about Mike Brewer, I've gone all the way back to the beginning of the decade and things. And, uh, you know, I think the moment where it was, you know, clear that the future of sale was secured. Because um, I think you know, we're also worried about if we went down, you know, Kennedy's he's not investing in the club. It could be the end of professional rugby in the northwest. You know, I think that was a real, real possibility. But I think with Simon and Jed in now, they are really focused on success. So for at least the first half of this decade, I think we've got um, some things to be really excited about as sale fans. So I think the moment that it was announced that they were taking over, that was the uh, the key moment of the decade for me. Brilliant. And then finally, our, our last category, you know, the player of the decade. Uh, I, I'll start this one off. Um, Alex has kind of stolen my thunder a little bit, um, but it's Dan Braid. You know, we, we, we've spoken a lot about this decade as being a you know, very turbulent time for sale. 
uh, James has literally just mentioned the fact that we might not have professional rugby in the Northwest if we had gone down in that 2012-13 season when we were so poor. Braid was the catalyst of turning it around. You know, he's one of the best players I've seen playing in a sales shirt. You know, in, in very different circumstances to a lot of the, the the club legends. You know, we weren't you know as part of a, a dominant team that was running away with the league. You know, and it, you know Braid was was so instrumental to turning around that 2012-13 season and and helping Sale stay afloat in a very crowded sporting market. You know, those 2013, 14, 15 seasons where not only were we, you know, surviving the premiership, but actually pushing for the top six again as well. You know, he was a massive part of that and he will go down as as one of the the, the best players who's ever played for, for Sale for a lot of different reasons. But I think, you know, you look at the impact that one individual player has made over the last 10 years and it's hard to imagine Sale being where they are now if it wasn't for... Dan Braid and, and you know a handful of others at the beginning of uh, at the beginning of the decade. So it's, it's Dan Braid for me in a, in a bit of a walk. Uh, Alex, uh, I'm going to go for someone who I think has pretty much been around all decade and has been fantastic throughout it, which is Ross Harrison. I just think the amount of minutes and work that he's put in for the club um, has has been absolutely brilliant. And you know, a homegrown player um, who has basically held down that number one position for so many years and just given so much for the club and, and been brilliant while he's been doing it. So I think Dan Braid, I completely agree, saved this club from going down. But I think over over the decade, Ross Harrison has just time and time again put in a big performance and put his body on the line for the club. Um, so yeah, it's Ross for me. James, what about you? Well, I think I'd have to agree with you on Ross Harrison. Overall, he's been so essential to this club, you know, coming into play a, a prop at about 19 with like an 18-year-old next to him and another 19-year-old tight head. I mean, we forget that you know where we were, really. So, absolutely, I agree on Ross Harrison. I'm just going to throw in a different name, and it's really, rather than player of the decade, it's sort of really person of the decade. Um, and that, for me, is Mark Coito, um, because he stuck with the club for the first half of the decade, and when all of his mates, like uh, Charlie Hodgson and Richard Wilsworth, Dean Schofield, uh, Chris Jones, left the club, um, and he stayed loyal to us uh, in our moment of need, um, and gave his all in every single game. He, he blood, sweat, and tears um, for this club, and then to go on and, and and do such a fantastic job on the commercial side of the business, joining the board um, as the director as well. Um, he really is um, for me. Um, you know, a bit of a hero for sale. Right. Well, that was that was the decade that was. You know, we hope we hope everyone enjoyed sort of a, a very interesting look back at a very interesting decade uh, for sale. Uh, obviously, conscious that we're starting to run over a little bit. So, whilst we you know do want to talk about the next ten years in as much detail as we can, you know, and, and Alex said we could go for five hours if we wanted to. We just wanted to finish off this week's episode with a little look ahead. We started the decade, you know, in perfect fashion, absolutely thumping Quinns. And that has to start, uh, that has to continue uh, when we travel away to La Rochelle and the European Champions Cup. James, you obviously usually do the, the, the previews for, um, you know, for the forthcoming game. But obviously, given the context, you know, sale third in the group, no real chance um, of, of qualifying for, for, the, uh, for the knockout rounds. We're not actually going to do like a full preview about La Rochelle. You know, we, we've already spoken about them quite a lot earlier this this season. But you 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 said that you wanted to talk about sort of what what do we want to get out of these last two games from a sale perspective? And I kind of feel like that should be how we we lead this discussion. So so we you know with, with two games left in the in the Champions Cup, um, you know what what are you expecting from Sale? 
Well, it's a really good question, and, and it's one I don't necessarily have the answer for. I mean, one thing to flag is that La Rochelle are absolutely going great guns in the in the top 14 um, since we last played them. You know, they, they've gone from sort of flirting sort of sixth, seventh, eighth in the league and are now up to fourth in the top 14. So a bit like us, have, have had a really good um, run into that top uh, positions. Um, but, you know, they're not, they're not really going for qualification either. I do think they'll always put out a strong team at home and we need to decide, you know, what, what we want to gain from the, these last two games. Um, you know, I think we can still qualify, but we'd need to get 10 points, I think, pretty much. So that's not going to happen, is it? I'm very unlikely. I saw some chat on Twitter from some of our uh, followers that, you know, they'd be very disappointed if we didn't put out two first-choice teams. I'm a little bit more relaxed. You know, I think it's an opportunity not to send a weak team, but to do some natural rotation, make sure that people are getting some, you know, good game time in, in themselves. You know, rest people who are carrying knocks. Tom Curry needs a rest. I won't play him for either of the two games. Because uh, I, I think we, he's, for him, we've got to prioritise premiership rugby, I, I'd say. But then again, you might look at it that we're losing him for the England games coming up. And this might be the last time we see him for a while. So, you know, maybe we keep throwing him in. Aka, you know, let's not risk him. Uh, Faf, unless he's absolutely 100%, I won't pick him. And even if he is, I'll probably play him off the bench. Um, so what about you guys, Alex? What do you what do you think on team selection? Do you think we're going to see see us send a, 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 like quite a young side down with the likes of Redpath and stuff coming back? Or do you think we're going down there to make a statement? Yeah, I think our attacking structure still needs a little bit of time to bed in. So I'd still like to see some of those combinations used. But I do think it is a chance to, as you say, players like Cam Redpath, um, Sam Moore, people, someone like Bevan Rod, people who put their hand up this season and looked good, but not just not quite had the opportunity. Cameron Neal as well. I think they've all put in these good sort of 20... 25 minute performances and what we just need to do is see a little bit more from them so I think this is the perfect opportunity for those guys to to play but I do think they need to play in a strong team so I agree that you know we've got the squad now that we can rotate and play you know we don't need to go and just play the kids anymore because we've got enough players that you know we we, we can put out a really good team um but yeah I'd definitely like to see you know some of those players who perhaps have have had good moments but haven't had the full opportunity to get a full 80 minutes or at least starting positions. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've thrown a few names out there. There are, there are definitely a few more. Um, one person I'd like to see a little bit more of is Gus Walk. So I do think he's looked quite good this season when he's come on. And I think it would be a good opportunity for him. Um, you know, I think Faf definitely needs a rest over these two games. So some more game time for Gus Wall, not necessarily, you know, starting ahead of Will Cliff. Um, but but definitely, you know, more than just 10 minutes at the end of the game or five minutes at the end of the game that he's had. Um, so, yeah, and another probably another opportunity to see Luke James at fullback because, you know, the, the more we can play him there, the, the better it'll be, I think. Yeah, and what do, what do you think then, Lewis? Do you think, I mean, another run out for Luke James is, is a good way to sort of bed him in in that position or away from home in Europe? Is that, you know, an opportunity to bring Hammersley back as a safe pair of hands if he's fit? Equally, what about 10... Um, 12, 13 is the first time we've had a bit of continuity in those positions. Do you stick with Rob Dupree or are you starting to worry that AJ McGinty's not getting enough game time? And what about Kieran Wilkerson bound back for a couple of weeks now playing for the Jets um, fully fit after a bad injury? Well, I think, I think my worry with, with AJ is that I don't want to see him only get a chance to play 10 when he's only got Luke James at 12, Cam Redpath at 13 and, you know, whoever else, you know, in, in, in the forward pack. I think 
my sort of concern is, you know, these two games, you either completely go for it with the kids or you just, you know, put together the, the strongest team that you can. And, and you kind of need to commit one way or the other. I will say, I think there's certain players you have to wrap in cotton wool and, and, and not, not risk them. Uh, Tom Curry, um, Fafter Clerk, I think, is already back in South Africa, I saw today, so he won't play, but that's fine. Probably Van Rensburg as well. I'd love to see, you know, him get some more game time with those players around, you know, around him. Um, but I do genuinely think, you know, we have to we have to look after him and manage him for, for the season. And probably um, probably Ross Harrison as well, I'd give a break. Um, but then, you know, beyond those, I, I would like to keep... We, we've struggled so much for consistency this year that I think we, we, we're on to a, a mini hot streak here. You know, two really good wins out of the last three. I think it is really important to try and keep as much consistency as possible. So I'd give probably give Jean-Luc Dupree and, and Dan Dupree another run out, you know, get them back to full fitness, you know, after, after Dan was out and Jean-Luc had a few weeks on the shelf. Um, yeah, I think I'd keep Will Clifford nine. I'd probably keep you know Rob Dupree at ten. I'd be tempted to go actually AJ at ten and Rob Dupree at twelve if we're keeping Van Rensburg out. And I would keep Luke James at fifteen. You know, I think we we seem to have hit on something there in terms of someone who's playing really well in a in a position that maybe we weren't expecting. And I think I don't know how how much good it does for his development for him to sit this week and and or, or move to a different position. I think you know he played really well there. Last week, we should probably keep him there this week and, and try and keep a, a strong team, even if we, we find those those players that we absolutely need to, to manage the load of for, for the rest of the season and kind of, you know, kind of put out a strong team, small rotation, or you put out the kids and, and, and you know, let Redpath, James, Wilkinson, Sam Moore and everyone else sort of play together and get some game time collectively. Yeah, I mean, I think they're just on a few of the kids, uh, you know, we don't know where Redpath's at after his last knock. Uh, Bevan Rod's out for the season. He's got a nasty. We were um, tweeted during the week. He's got um, a knee injury. That's why he's not in the England in the twenty squad. So he's uh, out for the season. Um, and Sam Moore is not playing in the Jets either. So I presume he's injured, which is a really big worry because he's basically been injured for two years now. So yeah, I think the few that few of the kids have got knocks, and then a few others like Tom Roebuck, um, uh, the likes of Curtis Langdon. Uh, Ewan Ashman, um, Kieran Wilkinson are sort of coming back. Gus War, you know, I agree. I think you know, I'll probably take him on the bench, um, and but just give him a good half an hour, whatever's going on in the game. I think that'll be really, really good for his his development. I'll be interested to give Cooper Woolley a go. Will Griff's got ahead of him, which I think is right. Um, but um, you know, I think that Will Griff John's going to be picked for Wales, so I think that quite soon. Um, I picked Will Griff John for the home game, by the way, um, uh, in the following week. But I just think Cooper Woolley needs to get set in because we're going to be relying on him for six weeks. Uh, Rob Webber, because I think Acker just needs to have a rest and make sure he's fully firing fit. I'd go Ross Harrison again um, with Morozov coming off the bench. If Ustazen needed a rest last week, to give him another rest. He's had a, a long super rugby season followed by Curry Cup. And one person I definitely would not send to La Rochelle under any capacity is Bryn Evans. Um, who, by the way, was absolutely brilliant for us again at the weekend. Um, he's had a brilliant season. I mean, we are so lucky to have him at the club. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's pushing for another year. I really do. You know, he's 35, but he's such a fantastic technician. Um, I think he might be pushing for another year if we can fit him in the he also doesn't do, do too much on carrying either, Bryn Evans. You know, for, for, for all his you know strength, he isn't necessarily someone who's doing 15 carries a game. And I do wonder whether or not that does help the longevity uh, aspect of his game. And, and that can help prolong his career, you know, for another season, as you mentioned, James. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And what an opportunity for Postlethwaite to go down there on the bench. I, I like you, Lewis. I agree. You go go go, Jean Luc Dupree. Put Phillips in in the in the in the donkey row and uh, and have Postlethwaite coming off the bench for another good uh, 30, 30 minutes or so at the top level because um, he's acquitted himself reasonably well as well. Well, I think you know we've we've, we've used, I think we mentioned basically everyone in both the sales squad and the jet squad. So uh, you know, regardless of what team they put out, obviously it will be a game that we'll be keeping an eye on. It's a Friday night kickoff. It's seven forty-five uh, our time, eight forty-five local, um, and it will, be, it will be on BT Sport as well. Um, so let's wrap this week's podcast up then uh, with some quick fire predictions, uh, Alex. I'm going to go with Cyril. 23, La Rochelle 28. I think we'll we'll push them close, but probably a French team at home, just a bit too much of a step for us, with not much on the line um, for us as a club. So yeah, Sale 23, La Rochelle 28. James? I think for me, I think it's going to be tough. I think we'll rotate the squad more significantly than we've been talking about. I think it'll be Sale 26, La Rochelle... Sorry, Sale 16, La Rochelle 30. Yeah, I'm going to agree with, with with both of you. French team at home, you know, not a lot to play for for, for us, and obviously we're already missing some key players, you know, for injury and, and some enforced rest. So I'm going to say La Rochelle 31, uh, Sale 21. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, I think we're going to go with with quite relaxed expectations. It's a good opportunity to get some more game time for some key players, and I think as long as we're in with a fighting chance to get that third position in the pool. Uh, the following week when we play at home to Glasgow and La Rochelle play Exeter, then I think, you know, we could probably say we've we've managed our squad appropriately over the last couple of uh, weeks of the Champions Cup. So I think that's that for this week's podcast. You know, thanks to everyone who's stuck with us through 80 minutes. Um, you know, it's been a, a slightly longer than usual, but we wanted to give due diligence to, to a very interesting decade for sale. Um, massive thank you to everyone who sent in the moments of the decades and the three-word views. Thanks to everyone who's tweeted us over the weekend. Thanks to everyone who liked our tweet about sale beating Quinns. You know, it went, you know, did very, very well. You know, and it shows that there's a lot of people who were who were interested in the supporters' view during the during game days. Um, and, you know, congratulations to Will Give John on, on what seems to be um, an imminent call-up to the Wales squad after that uh, that puff piece that Scrum 5 had uh, put out put out on him over the weekend um that's everything for me alex james um i'll leave it to you no just thank everyone for listening from me and um we'll see you next week yeah thanks everyone and uh you know i don't want to promise a whole decade of the shark tank podcast um but it's been uh fantastic two and a half seasons and we look forward to sharing at least well you know a fair bit of the next decade with you guys 